We've come here today, Lord God, with our hearts open wide, our spirits ready, our ears ready to hear and receive your word. God, I ask today that you would wear me like a glove, that, Father, you'd be the substance of what is said, that people would hear your voice deep in the recesses of their hearts. Even beyond my words, Lord God, they would hear you. And that, Father, when we leave here today, that we would leave here changed. We would be different because of the word and the spirit of the Lord. And we promise, Lord God, to give you all the glory. We promise to give you all the praise. When all of this is done, in Jesus' name, and everyone say, Amen. Amen. Um, I was 17 years old, just graduated from high school, and I had no direction in life. Um, my greatest goal in high school of a class in a class of 35 was that I would come 34 or 33 in the class so that I wouldn't be dead last. My, my, my grades in Spanish and math were like at the... like It was like, I don't know, like a Rotten Tomatoes score, like 22%. It was bad. I was, I was like, I used to have, um, I used to hang out with the other guys who were 34, 35, and I used to like laugh when they like, you know, came less than me because then that was my big victory. My big victory was not to come last. I had no aspirations beyond that. And so I left high school, and having left high school, I really didn't have any direction. I wasn't going to college. I wasn't, I mean, I was trying to find a job. And, um, so one day, I met a girl named Tamara. Um, now, Tamara was a pretty good looking girl, and I was an even better looking guy. <laughs> you probably could have told that. And so, you know, it just kind of made sense. Here's the thing about Tamara though Tamara just come back from Christian camp, and she had become a Christian. And so, my job, I felt at the time, was to unconvert her. So me and Tamara and we were hanging out and you know and stuff and she's talking about church. The thing is, Tamara's mother, who was a real serious Christian, real Holy Ghost, you know, kind of lady, and uh, she uh, really took a liking to me. And so she was like, you know what? Hey, why don't you come to church with us? And I'm like, eh, nah. eh. Yeah, you should come to church with us, you know. And and my big thing was, you know, I'd prayed once before. And so I used to say things like, well, I've prayed before, you know. I mean, that's how bad my, my, my spiritual life was. Like, the big thing I could hang my hat on was that I prayed once before. Um, and so I finally end up going to church with them one Wednesday night. And I'm sitting down in the back with Tamara and her mom. And there's a guy on stage and he's preaching. And he starts talking about how... Uh, his pancreas had cancer and, and he had gone in and you know surgeon had old opened him up, thought they could save it. And when they looked in there, they were like, man, it's, it's too far gone. So they just pretty much sewed him up and left him to die. And he's in the hospital room, he's recovering and the presence of the Lord shows up in the hospital room. And he knows that there is something going on here. So he's there lying down and he says, God, if you would heal me, I will serve you. Well, this guy... For whatever, I mean, I don't know what had happened, but his pancreas is working. And he's up there testifying, man, I can eat anything. I can, you know, I, you know, and he's going on. And he says, you know what? Jesus touched my life, and that's why I'm preaching today. And he's going, and then he starts getting down into what I now know is called the altar call, right? And he's going down into it. 
And as he's going into the altar call, I feel my fingers gripping the sides of my seat. Because something in me is stirring. And I feel like I want to get up. But I don't want to get up. And so I'm fighting, right? And there's this, this internal fight going on. And then he says these words at the end because he's having this altar call and nobody's moving. Everybody's like just sitting still. And then he says these words and it just, it just kills me. He says, Jesus said in his word, if you are not ashamed of me before men, then neither will I be ashamed of you before my father and the angels which are in heaven. A man, he said those words and everybody disappeared in the room. Tamara disappeared. Her mother disappeared. Everybody was gone. There was only three things happening in that room. That guy speaking, me holding on to the chair, and this thing stirring inside of me. And that was it. And it was like the place went black and all I could see was this aisleway of light going up to the stage. So, to the stage. so I let go and I start walking. And I walk up to the front. And there's nobody in the front except me and the dude. That's it. And so the guy now leads me. And he's, I'm praying and I'm praying. And, 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 and for, for, I'm there praying. He's saying what I'm supposed to say and I'm saying it. And then all of a sudden it's like the lights came on. It just felt like, wait a minute, there are people watching this. <laughs> like I'm not alone. There's a church full of people. And they're all cheering and they're all excited. And I'm like, oh, but, uh, I'm embarrassed. What am I doing up here? I'm too cool to be up here like this. But something happened to me in that moment. Something changed in my life. And I, nothing on the outside looked different. There was nothing that, that was obvious. I, I just know like there was a burden lifted. A burden I didn't even know I was carrying. I, I didn't even know what I was... I just felt light. I just felt different. I, I'm, it's like the next day I woke up, the, the sky looked bluer, the grass looked greener, like everything. It's like, I was just like, man, I, I just feel happy. I was like, what's going on? Something's wrong. Why am I so happy? Something had changed inside of me. That day, God started a work that He's continuing to this day. There was a shift that this that took place. And if you're a Christian in here, you know what I'm talking about. You either had one of those big salvation type stories or you've been in a place where God has touched a part of your life and says, hey, I want that. I want you to give that up. I want you to change that. And you had a decision to make. You had either a, let me hold on to my seat and don't move or you know what, God? Okay, I'm done. I'm just going to walk down that path. You had that situation where you had to make a decision where you're going to say yes to Him or yes to yourself. Today, we're talking about pursuing His righteousness. And pursuing His righteousness. I'm going to give you my definition for pursuing righteousness. To pursue righteousness is to become more like Christ and less like you. It's really simple. To become more like Christ and less like you. And that's what happened the day I got saved. I started on this journey of becoming more like Christ and less like me. I have three points for you this morning. Number one is righteousness is a position. Righteousness is a position. Secondly, righteousness is a process. 
Thirdly, righteousness is a pursuit. So righteousness is a position, a process, and a pursuit. This is not what righteousness is a position. Um, for us to understand this righteous position, this position of righteousness, we have to understand the whole definition of righteousness and what that means. Okay, So righteousness, according to Thayer's Greek lexicon, is the standard of thinking, feeling, and acting that is acceptable to God. The standard of thinking, the standard of feeling, the standard of acting that is acceptable to God. If you're a parent, you understand that sometimes your kids do things and you say to them, that is unacceptable. Exactly. And so what what righteousness is, righteousness is that is acceptable. Everything that's acceptable to God is according to to this this, uh, definition is righteous. Here's another definition for righteousness. Behavior that is in line with the laws of God. Behavior that is in line with the laws of God. The opposite of righteousness is unrighteousness. um, Or not conforming to God's laws. Or another way to say it is disobedience to God's laws. A word that we use to define that is the word sin. Sin. Um, I want to talk about sin today. And the reason I want to talk about sin is you can't understand righteousness without understanding sin. And I think a lot of us as Christians have lost the meaning of sin. And as a result, we've lost the fear of God. I believe one of the greatest tragedies in the church today is that the church of Jesus Christ has lost the fear of God. And a part of it is because we've watered down the definition of sin. Because so many people are doing it that we have normalized it in our eyes and we're no longer turned off of sin the way we once used to be. Are you following me? And in doing that, what's happened as a result is that a lot of people in the church no longer fear God. You know, when I was growing up, um, if you did something wrong, they would say, God is going to sin you. That's what they used to say at Trevaker. God is going to sin you. He's going to strike you down dead because you just did that. Right? You hear people say, no, hey, don't tell no lie in the house of God or else, you know, lightning, you got to watch it. That, that's kind of gone. And so, Here's what the Bible says about sin. 1 John 3 verse 4 says this, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. Now lawlessness simply means not submitting to God. So sin is not submitting to God. And when you no longer see the big deal of sin, then you no longer see the big deal of your salvation. I want to say that again. If you no longer see a big deal about sin, you no longer see the big deal about salvation. If you no longer see a big deal about sin, then you no longer see a big deal about grace. If the only sins you think are big sins are like the fornication, adultery, you know, drugs, anything you are not doing, then you don't value the amount of grace it took to save you. Grace has no value if sin isn't like nasty to you. If sin isn't 
repulsive to you, then grace has no value to you. Okay? All right, let me, let me say it another way. So just kind of humanize it. If you pass somebody in the hallway and they didn't tell you hello, okay? And you feel like, man, you know what? They didn't tell me hello, but eh, they probably had a lot going on. Then you don't feel you need to forgive them because it wasn't a big deal. Why waste your forgiveness on something that's not a big deal to you? Okay, you just overlook it. But if the person does something that really hurts you, now you have to forgive them. Why? Because the offense is a big deal. If you don't recognize how much you've offended God, then His forgiveness is cheap to you. Mm -hmm. So when we disobey God on any level, any level, thinking, feeling, or actions, that's sin. And God doesn't like kind of categorize sin. It's just sin. And sin is lawlessness. And lawlessness is unrighteousness. Now here's the problem with that. The problem that we find ourselves in is that only the righteous can enter the kingdom of God. So we're in a problem because already, just based on what I've said, we already know we're not righteous right now. We miss something. Only the righteous can enter the kingdom of God. Here's what Matthew 5 verse 20 says. It says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now Jesus is talking to a group of people and they know that the scribes and the Pharisees are the most holy people in the land. They know the Bible inside out. Some of them even wrote the words. They copied it. They spent time with it. They are like super, super holy. And here's what Jesus is saying to them. Hey, if your righteousness does not exceed their righteousness, man, you can't even enter the kingdom. Man, that's heavy. That's heavy. That's just like saying, man, if they can't enter, if, if, if they're not good enough, then I'm hopeless. Paul said it another way. Paul says this. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 to 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. That's a long list. But I see some of you already, some of you going, well, that's not me. That's not me. That's not me. So to help you kind of understand the situation we're in, I'm going to ask Pastor Polo to come up here because Pastor Polo grew up in church. His father was a pastor. And my father was not. My father was a Rasta man. That means he was like, you know, Pastor Polo was like saved, right? I was in a cult, right? Huge difference right here, okay? Um, Pastor Polo was one of these guys that, you know, he was playing music in church since he was a kid, okay? I, w- I never went to church as a kid, ever, ever, ever. And so Pastor Paul and I, we have a little competition going. It, we're going to jump. That's, we're going to jump. And um, we're going to compete in terms of our ability to jump. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are saying, hey, Pastor Paul is just a little taller than you. Are you sure? That's fair to him. It's okay. 
he is um he played basketball in the past, but I did break dancing. Come on now. Right? So never never underestimate a break dancer. Hey? Hey. Okay? Now here's the thing. What we're gonna do is is jump, but the, the the height of the jump represents the amount of righteousness that we have. Are you with me? Alright? So, alright, are you ready? Cool. Alright, one we're we're gonna jump. Okay, one, two, three, jump. Okay, now just just by by a clap of hands. Who's more righteous? Just clap. Yeah. Thank, thank you for that one clap. <laughs> okay, based on the jump, who's more righteous? Alright, okay, okay, cool, cool. Alright, 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 nice, very nice. Okay. How, uh, we're gonna change the rules a little bit. Let's change the rules a little bit. Okay, so here is the competition. Okay? Whoever is righteous will touch the ceiling. Are you ready? You ready? Yeah. You watch it now, boy. You watch it now. <laughs> All right. You gotta be ready. Can I put put my glasses down because you know this could get real serious here. Ready? One, two, three, go. All right. Based on that jump, who's righteous? None of us. Thank you, man. Thank you. None of us. But here's what we do. We're measuring our righteousness based on somebody else's jump. God's measuring our righteousness based on His standard. What's happening is we're looking at the list and go, oh, I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't do that. God is saying, you don't, you don't get it. I'm not trying to compare you to them. I'm trying to compare you to me. And if Polo feels like, hey, I've sinned less than Pastor Che, therefore I am more righteous, he doesn't understand the grace that was actually given him. So Isaiah 64, 6 says this. I love this scripture. It says, we are all infected and impure with sin. Okay, I don't really love the scripture. I'm just saying, it's, um, I love... What it, what it leads to. Watch this. When we display our righteous deeds, listen to this, they are nothing but filthy rags. We're there going, hey, God, look what I do. Look what I do. I, I, man, I don't take drugs. Hey, hey, God, guess what? I don't drink. Hey, guess what? I, I, I'm, I'm still with my wife. I, I, haven't, I haven't cheated. The guy's saying, really? That's what you're showing me? And that's filthy rags. Oh. That's filthy rags. Because if, if people like Pastor Polo don't understand that his sins are just as repulsive to God as my sins, then he won't truly appreciate the grace that it took to save him. And that will make him self-righteous. And self-righteous people always stop, pers- stop pursuing God's righteousness because they think their righteousness is good enough. <laughs> Jesus told a story one time. He, um, he was having dinner with a guy named Simon, who's a Pharisee. And so he's talking to Simon the Pharisee, and this lady walks in, and she starts washing his feet. 
And Simon thinks to himself, he says, if this man were really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is washing his feet. And so Jesus turns to him and says, hey, Simon, let me ask you a question. He says, um, let's say there's a king. And the king brings in a debtor, and the debtor owes him like a thousand dollars. And the king says, hey, I've forgiven you of your debt. The guy walks away, he's thankful. And then he brings in another debtor, but the debtor owes him like a hundred thousand dollars. And he says, hey, I've forgiven you of your debt. He says, Simon, let me ask you this. Which one do you think would love the king more? And Simon says, well, I suppose it's the one who got forgiven of the greater debt. And Jesus said, you have so well spoken, Simon. I came here and you didn't wash my feet. You didn't greet me with a quick kiss. You didn't treat me like an honored guest. But since this woman has come, she has not stopped washing my feet with her tears. Watch this. He said, he who is forgiven much, loves much. He who is forgiven little, loves little. Now watch this, watch this, watch this. This is really, really crucial. If Polo thinks he's been forgiven little, he's going to love little. It's not that he has been forgiven little, but he thinks he has because he grew up in church. Because he didn't do all the things Pastor Che did. Because he didn't have that kind of past. Because he knew Jesus since he was a kid. And so for him, guess what? When Jesus came into my life, I didn't have a whole lot to forgive. So guess what? I don't have to love as much because I didn't need as much forgiveness. He's wrong. It took the same amount of grace to save him as it did me. And a lot of times, we're sitting in church thinking, man, the kingdom better be happy to have me, because I didn't do a whole lot wrong. But your sin was just as repulsive to God as whichever sin you think is worst. This is really crucial. Because if you understand this, then you understand... What Romans 3 verse 9 says. He says, well then, should we conclude that we Jews, the polos in life, right? Should we conclude that we Jews are better than the others, than the passages? Watch this. No, not at all. For we've already shown that all people, all people, all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scripture says, no one is righteous. No one has made the mark. No one can touch the ceiling. No one makes it. It doesn't matter how short you are, how close you come, you can't touch it. You're just not righteous. Period. No one is righteous. Not even one. Verse 20 says this, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. No one can be made right by doing this. You could try all day long. You'll never be made right by doing what the law commands. Here's what it says. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. The whole law simply shows us Man, you're short. Pastor Paul, I don't care how tall you are. You're still short. You're short 
when it comes to the standard that God has. So the only standard acceptable to God is perfection. That's it. And that's why we need grace. Grace. Grace is what makes us acceptable to God even when our works could not. Verse 21 of Romans chapter 3 says this. This is so good. It says, but now... But now, because of all this dilemma, God has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, that is a good right there. Right? And this is true for who? Everyone who believes. No matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. Come on, say Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in His grace, made uh, freely makes us right in His sight. He closes the gap. God closes the gap. He did this through Jesus Christ when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. When I got saved that day, 1986, 17 years old, chasing a girl and finding Jesus. When I got saved that day, I immediately became righteous in His sight. Say, hey, but Pastor, did you stop, uh, did you stop smoking? No, 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 no. Did, did you, did you, did you stop, uh, <laughs> I'm saying, saying I didn't. I didn't at the time, I didn't, I didn't. I'm just saying, right? Did, did you stop, you know, chasing tomorrow? Well, sort of, right? Okay, so I'm chasing. But guess what? That day, that day, something changed. And when that changed, it wasn't manifested in my behavior yet. But something happened in my heart. And God saw me as righteous that day. It became my position. So 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him who, knew, who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I am the righteousness of God. Wow. That's awesome right there. It's awesome right here. That's what um, theologians call that justification. Justification is the position of righteousness that God freely gives us because of what Jesus did. It costs us nothing, but it costs Him everything. It costs Him everything. Um, I remember as a kid, when, when I first learned about justification, we had this word justified. And it was justified just as if I'd never sinned. God saw me just... As if I'd never sinned. Man, it's so awesome. Look, that, that means this, that God didn't see me here trying to jump up there. God saw me up there, living up there, staying up there, like my feet were planted on the ceiling. Just as if I'd never sinned. Man, that's awesome. 
That's awesome. At that moment, when God started to work in my heart, He started to make me more like Christ. Now, righteousness is a position, but righteousness is also a process. And so, to kind of walk through this, I'm going to give you three um, theological terms for the word salvation, okay? Salvation actually takes place in three dimensions. Um, The first one is our past. And so it's, you have been saved, right, from, watch this, the penalty of sin. What does that mean? You ain't going to hell anymore, and that was the penalty of sin. Okay? So you have been saved from the penalty of sin. That's justification, what we just spoke about. Then the future tense is you will be saved from the presence of sin. You will be saved from the presence of sin. That's called glorification. So when you look in the Bible and it says, He that endured to the end shall be saved, what it's talking about is that glorification state. That state when mortality shall take on immortality, we shall all be changed in the twinkling of an eye. You know, all those scriptures that you hear when you go to funerals. It's talking about that glorification, that we shall be saved. There's a third one. It's a present tense one. It says, we are being saved right now. We are being saved, watch this, from the power of sin. That's called sanctification. When the old saints talk about, if anybody asks you, what's the matter with you, my friend? Tell them that you are saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, water baptized, Jesus on my mind, I found a new life. You don't have that song here? You know the words, but the tune sounds different. I'm sanctified. Hallelujah. Sanctification is a process. It's a continual process. You never end up finishing sanctification. You're always being sanctified. You're always being sanctified. This is what sanctified means. Sanctified is talking about transforming you to become more like Christ. Um, When you got saved, you died. Your old man died. The old you died and a new you was resurrected spiritually. The Holy Spirit came in. So Romans one, um, Romans chapter 6 verse 1 to 2 says this. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, after I'm dude, finished and you realize, hey, I can't jump and reach there. And the laws, following the laws not going to help me. And when I got saved, God sees me up there. So shall I continue to sin now that I'm up there? In God's eyes, now that he sees me just as if I've never sinned, should I continue to sin? Paul says this, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? Hmm. (laughs) Verse 6 says this, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer hear this now be slaves to sin for he who has died has been freed from sin do you know dead people don't get offended Dead people don't have opinions. Dead people don't get tempted by sin. Reminds me of this 
this person who brought their dog into the veteran vet, you know, took dog to the vet, says, I don't know what's wrong with him. I mean, I just found him passed out this morning. I'm not sure. So the vet said, okay, put him on the table. Dog's not moving. Dog is not moving at all. So the vet gets a cat, puts the cat on the table. The cat runs around the dog, runs around the dog, runs around the dog. And the person said, um, what are you doing? This is uh, performing a cat scan. How if you know, if the dog was alive, <laughs> the cat scan would tell. He was dead. Let me tell you something, when you're dead, you're dead to sin. This is what's happening. Paul says, guess what? Stop talking about your, um, you know what? I know you're talking to Mary, but man, if you push my button, Shaniqua is going to come up in here. <laughs> Shaniqua? Who's that? Well, you know, that's the old me. The old you is dead. Old you is dead. Come on, the old you is dead. Dead. You are no longer a slave to sin. What does that mean? Listen, you choose to sin, you're no longer a slave to sin. Mm. Verse 11 says this, Likewise, also, reckon yourselves. Now, reckon is a really good Texas word, right? I reckon. I reckon the car was going by 6 miles per hour. Okay, what does reckon mean? Reckon means to consider. Consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. For sin shall not have, verse 14, dominion over you, for you are not under law, you are under grace. Alright, powerful, 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 powerful. Alright, here's, here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. Jesus came to your heart. And when Jesus came to your heart, the Holy Spirit came into your heart, He started a work inside of you. And the work He started inside of you was to change it, to become more like Jesus. And so this work is starting. And this work is really because of God's grace. Now when God's grace came, what God's grace didn't do was give you a license to sin. That wasn't the purpose of grace. The purpose of grace wasn't to let you off the hook so that you could do whatever you want, and then He would forgive you. That's not the purpose of grace. The purpose of grace was to give you the power to say no to sin. That all your friends who don't know Jesus can't resist. They can't say no. They just do it. They're like, you remember we spoke about last week about Chuck. Chuck can't say no to that peanut butter. And when that dog, my little dog Chuck, smells the peanut butter and we throw the peanut butter, he's going to go after it every single time because Chuck has no resistance. Grace gives you resistance. Are you with me? Grace gives you power to make a choice. Grace gives you the power to be obedient to God. See, most of us don't have a sin issue. Most of us have a submission issue. It's not we can't control ourselves. It's that we don't want to say, Lord, what are you saying? Lord, let me hear your voice. Lord, should I be doing this? Lord, I have decided to... You see, we have a hard time doing that. In fact, here's what most of us do. Hey, God, I'm glad that you're blessing me. And I want you in every area of my life except this, because this is what I enjoy. 
That's not a sin issue. That's a submission issue. That's God. Thank you for your salvation. I'll take it from here. See, I remember the day when I didn't, when I had no desire to go clubbing anymore. Man, nobody told me I should stop. Nobody said anything to me. I just felt, there's something inside of me just said, man, I don't even like, I don't even know why I'm doing this. I remember that day. And when I felt it inside, I was like, Psh, I don't care, I'm going anyway. And I went. And I'm sitting down, looking around at everybody enjoying themselves and thinking, why don't I feel the same way I used to feel? Man, this is stupid. What am I doing here? This is just dumb. I'm just coming here because everybody else is coming here. I don't even like it anymore. Something had changed on the inside. I wasn't trying to change something on the outside, but something happened on the inside. My tastes changed. My desires changed. Something started to speak deep in my heart. And then eventually I just said, you know what, Lord? I'm just going to do what you tell me to do. Hmm. More and more, God touched areas of my life. My pride, lust, insecurity, Issues of forgiveness. Issues of pleasing people. There are all sorts of things that were going on inside my heart that had nothing to do with my jump. Nothing to do with my jump. Nothing at all. Like the law, the law says, listen, don't commit adultery. But the law never told me to love my wife. God told me that. He said, dude, love her like I love the church. It wasn't a law thing. It was a change of heart thing. Hmm, <laughs> Because some people don't commit adultery. You know why? Because they don't have any money. They can't afford it. But some people, some people don't commit adultery because nobody would even give them a chance. And you're like, well, pastor, you know what? I've, I've never committed adultery, you know, in my life. I didn't think you would. But who would, who, who would commit adultery with you? <laughs> so sometimes what we're doing is we're marking our righteousness by what we do and what we don't do rather than marking what our pursuit of righteousness as something that is a heart change inside of ourselves. And the question is, are we pursuing Him? Are we pursuing Him? See, God loves you just as you are. I hear Christians say it all the time, Angel, but God loves me the way I am. God loves you as you are, but He loves you too much to leave you that way. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, Jeremiah 31, 33, uh, I love this scripture. Here's what it says. It's, it says that God is writing His laws on our minds and in our hearts. Isn't that something else? But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. What is he saying? He's saying something inside of you will shift so you don't want to speed past 60 when you're going on the highway. You won't need to sit a sign to stop you. You won't need to see a police waiting for you to slow down. Because it's not going to be an outward thing trying to control you. No, it's something that's happened inside of you. That's controlling you. And so, let me end with this point. 
Righteousness is a position. Righteousness is a process. It takes time. But thirdly, righteousness is a pursuit. Second uh, Timothy 2.22 says, Flee youthful loss, but pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness. And here's what that means. It means this. We can't change ourselves, but we can participate with the Holy Spirit as He changes us. And what I'm trying to help you today, this is, this is probably the most important point. I want you to get this one thing. If you can get one thing out of this message, this is what I want you to get. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says this. He who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Here's, here's what I want you to get out of this. I want you to understand that God has begun something in you. And that regardless of how long you're saved, He's not finished yet. And if you would pursue Him with all your heart, then you would say, God, continue to change me. I know I'm better than I was, but I'm still not Jesus yet. And I want to continue being perfected by you. I want you to keep working in me. That regardless of which stage you are in your Christian walk, I want to understand that you've got to be in a place, not where you try, 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 where you, you fail and forgive, fail and forgive, not where you're trying to obey the law, but rather where you're in a place where you say, God, change me. I'm yours. Anything you say, my answer is yes. Man, just God, touch any area of my life. I'm open to you. Let me Know what you want to change in me. I'm ready to participate with you. We've got to get out of where, hey, you know, that's just how I am. You just got to love me as I am. Take me or leave me. No! No! Jesus says, I am here to conform you to my image. That you would look like me. See, pursuing righteousness is about becoming more like Christ. Unless like you. God loves you too much to leave you where you are. So don't stop being open to His Spirit. Don't stop pursuing Christ. Don't stop dying to yourself. Don't stop pursuing righteousness. Don't get complacent. Don't put a pause on your spiritual progress. Don't feel like somehow you've made it. Paul says this, Not that I've attained, but this one thing I do, I forget the past and I press on toward the high calling of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. That I am going to strain and struggle to attain that for which God attained me. You see, God has so much in store for you. He has healing. He has deliverance. He has joy. He has peace. But for us, so, so many of us, we want ministry and, and we want, we want to, to be used by God and we want to be, but we're not willing to say, God, touch every area of my life. How much better would your marriage and your family, how much better would your role at work, how much better would your business be if you said, God, every area, every area, every area is open for you. The whole purpose of salvation is to become like Christ. It's not heaven. If the purpose of salvation was heaven, as soon as you got saved, you'd be gone. Isn't that right? He didn't save you to go to heaven. He saved you to represent Him here on earth. And we can't represent Him if we don't want to be changed by Him. And so, my wife and I, we came up on a, a prayer recently that just kind of captured this for us. And I want to share it with you. 
Because I just believe that there's too much that God has in store for you that we're missing out on because we've blocked Him from changing areas in our lives. That we've not said yes to Him. And so here's, here's, here's the, the prayer that we came upon recently. And it says this, Lord, help me to see as you see and to do as you say. Help me to see as you see and to do as you say. Help me to see. Help me see people the way you see people and to respond the way, to respond to them the way that you would want me to respond to them. Help me to see situations the way you see situations and to do what would be in line with you, with your word, with your heart, with your spirit. Help me, Lord, that every day, for every phone call, for every meeting, for every email, for every, that I, when I get that news, when I get that thing, that somehow I would look at it and I would pause and I would say, God, help me to see this the way you would see this and help me to respond the way you would want me to respond. And in the second part, it's like, it, God, complete the work you started in me. Um, God, don't let me get complacent. Don't let me get to the point where I think I'm good enough. Where I think I'm there. I know in your eyes I'm righteous. But God, I want to look like Jesus. Pursue righteousness. And so, Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God as we said last week, is not eating and drinking. But first of all, it's righteousness. And the next week, we're going to talk about peace. But you can't get to peace without going through righteousness. Amen? Bow your heads with me for a moment. As we reflect this morning, I want to ask you, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you through this message? What do you sense that the Holy Spirit is doing?